This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, it's Fitz, and if you don't know who I am, here's a quick bio. Veteran sports journalist who writes, does TV, radio, and is a longtime podcaster. Also, I have stage 4 prostate cancer, so my doctors advise me to stay home during these COVID-19 concerns. So what am I doing with my time? I'm calling some of the many friends, athletes, coaches, and colleagues who have been part of my life during more than 30 years in journalism. Oh, and I'm hitting the record button. Welcome to my life and the Life of Fitz podcast. Wrap your mind around this. Maurice Mack was the running back who followed Darren Sproles at Olathe North High School in Kansas City, and there was no drop-off in production at the position. He then followed Sproles to Kansas State, but he switched to the defensive side of the ball, donning the number 24 jersey for the Wildcats. First, a strong safety, and then an undersized outside linebacker, Mack was one heck of a football player who went from winning a Big 12 title as a freshman to playing his senior season in the first year of the flawed Ron Prince era of K-State football. Mack was a warrior on the field, and he's willing to step up and speak about the things he sees that are wrong in the nation that he loves. Mo recently started his own podcast, In the Life of a Mac, and his first episode was him speaking from his heart. As we see the streets filled with people protesting the unfathomable murder of Minneapolis resident George Floyd when a police officer knelt on his neck for nearly nine minutes, it's time for all of us to have some tough and uncomfortable discussions. Mo Mack is the perfect man, a man of reason, knowledge, and passion with whom to have that discussion. This episode will probably be longer than usual. We have a lot to discuss, and I am certain it will include me being uncomfortable with words, which is something I think many of you realize is out of the norm for me. So now let's call former K-State football player Maurice Mack, who now lives in Houston, Texas, where he coaches and teaches part-time at Humble High School. What's up, man? How are you doing? <laughs> I'm good, man. What's going on? Nothing. Just laying low at home, trying to stay away from the world right now. <laughs> <laughs> if, man, it feels like that's the only thing to do, man, is just stay in the house and, and just try to not to, you know, get sick or get caught up <laughs> with crazy. all this craziness going on, man. It's crazy. It's like uh, the real world is a little bit too real world for me right now. Man. It's like... Yeah. There's a yeah. lot of crap going on that you can't ignore, but uh, let's just uh, keep my head down. You know, just it's, right. It's, uh, and I'm thankful I live in Manhattan, Kansas. And uh, <laughs> yeah. And the worst thing that can happen is maybe a hundred people can get together and chant or whatever. Nothing bad's going to happen. I guess is what I'm going to say. Yeah. This has been overdue. I want to dive right in, man. Uh, first of all, you okay, doing go well? Ahead. You you good? I'm I'm doing well, doing good. You know, except for these gray hairs that I'm getting in my head. I'm welcome. I'm good. Welcome to the club. <laughs> welcome to the club. That, that shit just shows up, and you're like, oh man, really, dude? It's like you wake up and there's more and more that show up. You're like, man, I didn't have as many the other day. I know. Well, and uh, I let my hair grow. What little I have left. Uh, <laughs> For a while during the <laughs> pandemic, and uh, my beard kind of—I've got a goatee, and it kind of grew out. And I'm like, "This thing's all silver when you let it grow." Like, <laughs> and silver on pasty white Irish skin isn't cool. <laughs> it just isn't that cool. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know, but uh, I feel like I'm—I'm I'm gonna try to be not as forward as I typically am. Uh, 
but I, I also am going to do that. I feel like this Man, was overdue. Be you, brother. Yeah, be I feel you. like. All right. I, how do I say this? I feel like this incident was the one that really made people understand. Yeah. What we've all known. Yep. Maybe not understand is the right word. Admit. Or just to see it. Yeah, admit it, see it. Grasp it. That this one was so bad, anyone, even if you are a racist, can look at that and say, man, that's not right. Yeah. Or at least it's like, it's jacked up. Like, man, that's messed up. You you have to be really, really racist (laughs) to go, hell yeah. You know? And well, that, the crazy thing about it is there are people out there uh-huh. who are like, oh, well. Oh, well. He probably well, did something wrong. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yep, it's. Yep, uh, yep. And I feel like sometimes uh, Black Lives Matter has picked the wrong fights and they haven't gotten middle America to buy in. Middle America is bought in right now. And this is the time. This is the moment. I think this is uh, sometimes the moment you have to wait for the opportunity. And this yeah. was this this was everything, including everything going on with the pandemic when we're all mm-hmm. kind of at home. We're all kind of plugged into TV and social media. And we see this these videos lately. I mean, you got a, a guy out jogging, being hunted like an animal. Yep. And, and then you see I, I don't want some guy kneeling on my neck for two seconds. <laughs> you know, nine minutes. True. And yeah, everyone's like. Minutes. Uh, well, okay, this makes sense, right? right. But right. I, I'm doing all the talking. Um, no, man, you're good, brother. I'm, I'm just, I'm just waiting, waiting patiently. Yeah, wait, it's uh, you know patiently. Uh, um, I, because I mean, for me, and this is what I, I've been saying, you know, the entire time with any incident that comes up, whether it's a black guy, whether it's it's a Hispanic guy, it, it just feels like this country since 1619. Okay, since 1619 has always had the agenda of keeping the majority the majority and keeping it that way whatsoever at any cost. And and you know what? Um, As an Irishman, the definition of majority has changed, but black has always been in the minority. Yep. Um, Because Irish were enslaved. Irish were um, treated like crap. I mean, we see it historically. how Boston became what it is. They all became the yeah. cops to overcome what happened. Um, yep. But with all that said, the Irish historically have never gone through what uh, people of Africa have. They've been enslaved around the world. And I think too I think too often in America we make the mistake of thinking it's just us. Now, the slave mm-hmm. trade ran through the Caribbean. The, yes. You know, we only a fraction came to what we now know as the United States. Right. The people of Brazil and Cuba, the people of yep. color, yep. they're of slave her- heritage, too. And we kind of forget that because we have done, and I mean this tongue-in-cheek, a marvelous job of perpetuating racism in the United States in ways that other places where slaves ended up have not. Right. You're absolutely correct. I've, ch- sad, I've, I've changed my opinion sad, on man. so many things right now. <laughs> I've changed my opinion on... I was I was the guy that said oh, the Confederate flag means this to those people and it's okay and now I'm like hell no it's not okay. Yeah. I was the people like all lives matter and now I'm like no I get it now I get why you're saying Black Lives Matter because all lives do matter but right now the people in pain are of color. Yep. And we need to we need to meet it head on. I I've so, done a 180 on myself. Something has to change. Yeah. Something has to change with it. And like I've told all my friends, it's like dude, it's like look. I, I understand we, we come from different ethnic backgrounds. I understand we come from, you know, different social backgrounds. But at the, at the end of the day, we're all people. We are all citizens. And people can go through my timeline from Facebook to Twitter to Instagram. And I, I've been using this quote for probably consistently for like three years now. We the people in all caps. Right. And that's what it comes down to. We the people have to make this right. If the people are in Washington or the people in, you know, in in um, certain um, government uh, uh, official houses and, and, and governor houses, if they aren't listening to anything that any minority is saying or any person is saying, like 
we the people have to come together, but that's the problem. It's that portion of people who don't say anything, that sit on the sidelines and watch the game being played, and they're thinking like, man, that's kind of messed up. But they don't speak out about it. They don't, like, they don't, it, I, and for me, for the life of me, I never understood that. My parents taught me, regardless of whether I have a Hispanic friend or an, uh, an Oriental friend or a white friend, you speak up for them if anything negatively is affecting them. Right. Anything. And for me, being a, 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 a black kid, you know, growing up in Kansas City, uh, suburb of Olathe was the suburb of Kansas City, you know, going south. Like, there, there have been plenty of times where I've seen examples of white privilege and racial profiling. I've been a victim of it. I've been a victim of having police officers point their gun when I'm not even the suspect that they're looking for, but I fit the description. Like, we get tired of hearing that crap so much. We get tired of the racial profiling. We get tired of, of having police officers pointing guns at us when we are totally innocent. And there have been times where I, I go home and I'm numb. Like, I'm seriously numb because it's like, I didn't do anything wrong, but you find me guilty. Is it because I'm black? I don't even look like a threat just because I'm 5'11", 200 pounds. Like, and I, I guess I, for, for some people, it's just that hatred is in their heart. But the hatred is it, it, it's not genetically it's inherited by the teaching of and if that's all your ancestors have taught is hate and if that's that's all they speak is hate then nine times out of ten that's what is going to come out of you is hate yep but the, the, my family my friends my real friends who know me they know i love everybody i i i'll, I'll talk i'll joke about you i'll talk about you but guess what at the end of the day i got your back please have my back and that's all I ask, you know? Yeah, there's so much to unpack here. It's just, uh, I think the teeter-totter has tilted. I hope. I hope. And I hope uh, white America, even the white America who has kind of denied this, and I've been telling Becky, my wife, this, we've got a problem with the culture of policing. Mm -hmm. And it's personified and magnified on people of color. But we're now seeing a lot of white people are seeing exactly the kind of crap you have put up with, with heavy handed, conflict driven policing. Yeah. We are in conflict with you because we are police and you are the policed mm -hmm. instead of we are the police to serve you. We've gotten away from serving and protecting to yeah. a combative relationship between police and the citizens. And it's got to stop, not that it ever was a cooperative relationship for people of color, but I think middle America is now seeing our culture of policing is broken. And it's got, we've got to reinvent how we police our cities. Our, we see stop it in Manhattan, that. Kansas. You, you go to Aggieville. I was about to say, you, you we go to, it in Manhattan too. You go to yeah. Aggieville and, <laughs> and you are a criminal waiting to be caught. <laughs> and I can imagine how much worse it is for a person of color. I, I, well, I can't. I can't imagine. I've seen yeah. it. I have friends who have witnessed. I've see, witnessed them being profiled. Um, I don't know. It's, it's this is shitty. It's just shitty. It is. And here's the most. Here's the most racist thing I'm seeing right now. And you, if you don't agree, what I push back. These suburban white kids who are. <laughs> Breaking windows, looting at the forefront, encouraging yep. people. It's like yeah. I, it's I, it's almost like okay, I'm going to fire the gun, then hand you the gun and go home. Exactly. That's that's exactly what it is. That you're, is exactly what I'm gonna, it is. I'm going to start the crime, but you're going to pay the price, and I'm going to go have some spaghetti with mom and dad. Yep. Yeah, that is people, to be the most people, racist thing here. People are not picking out the ones who are causing all the damage. People don't even notice in the. Well, I, I, I've seen it now. I've, I've kind of taken, um, you know, this this past twenty four hours to just get off of social media because, <laughs> like, 
You have to. There have been times where I have wanted to go in, and I just like I can't do it. So, like I started. It started last night around seven or eight ish p.m. I was like, I'm not even looking at social media. I'm not for the for the next 24 hours. I'm I'm getting up. But before then, you know, I'm I'm looking at these posts on Twitter and and Facebook and just these random pallets of bricks being yep. put around certain buildings. Now, crazy. Common common sense tells me um if there's no construction going on around that area or, or on that building, something is up. My antennas automatically go up. Yep. And I'm like, okay, people, how are we gonna call a spade a spade? Like, let's 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 use our common sense. But for a lot of people, common sense is not common. No. Common it, sense is not common. If it doesn't and, fit their agenda, they're not using it. Oh my God! And that's what kills me. It's like the the media wants wants to always point out all the negative things that are, that are going on and show two percent of the good things that are happening with this protest. And and everything that's going on, but they they steady want to you know publicize you know the, these looting and 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 the riots, but they don't show who's really causing the riots. They they don't show you know you know the social media posts of, of people um, causing causing all the ruckus. Why? Because granted, the Black Lives Movement, you know, we're we still are in an uproar of injustices that have been happening to us for generations but now we're like we're, we're sick and tired of it we need people people that's what i don't care there's only one to me there's only one race that is the human race right we have different ethnicities and different ethnic backgrounds different social you know economic statuses but there is one race and that is the human race and for people to continuously Keep us segregated. Keep us divided. You are the problem. If you do not speak up and speak out against any injustice to any human being, you are the problem. And that's where I have the issue with because I I I I, 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 I didn't grow up that way. I didn't I grow up that way. I was not taught that way. I was taught to treat everyone with respect and treat everyone the same. I don't see how it's cool. I don't see how it's right to treat people differently just based off of what what you look like and like i said before i'm known for for joking around with you know someone's ethnicity or someone's you know um you know stereotypes we all do it we all joke around and 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 for me i have to be careful now of who i'm able to joke around with yep because people know me as a jokester people know me as you know a guy who enjoys life because i'm i'm saying like that i'm I'm going to enjoy my life. I'm not going to let anyone or any, you know, any ethnic group keep me from enjoying my life. I've been through too much in my 36, almost 37 years of living on this earth. I have been through too much for you to tell me that I can't enjoy my life. I'm going to enjoy, enjoy my life. I do it the right way. I do it to where it is pleasing to my family. It is pleasing to my children and it is pleasing to God. Those are the only things people that I'm worried about. If, if, if you have an issue with what I say or how I live my life, that's on you. But there's nothing I've done criminally. There's nothing I've done immorally to make you question like, oh, why is he like, he's a bad person. Just because I said a couple of jokes. Jokes are what we need right now in this Amen. world. Amen. I, and I, I'll be the first to tell you, I, I, I love to laugh. I love to have fun. But right now it's like, jokes and fun it, it, it's, it's time for action and um, I'm, I'm so thankful I have guys like Tyler Webb I have guys like James Yates other guys who I grew up with who I went to high school with who I went to middle school with who are speaking up and speaking out against the injustices and hell I was on the phone with Tyler you know last night for about 34-5 minutes and both of us just crying because we're trying to figure out what the hell is going on with our country yeah, makes no sense. I agree. You know, uh, people forget that as they quote Martin Luther King, who you know, oh. I I grew up in the seventies oh. and eighties in ninety seven percent white Salina, Kansas. Um, 
because he was so wise. But now we use MLK quotes as like, you see how enlightened I am? And yeah. we forget that they killed the guy because yeah. he was the radical. Yep. And the words he said now, even some of the, you know, the words that we don't always quote about sometimes you got to take to the streets and sometimes you got to, you know, push back. We don't really yeah. quote those, but those are pretty common sense now. Mm-hmm. But back then, oh, hell no. Yeah. Yep. I do know how far we've come. I mean, I remember uh, the N-word being thrown around pretty casually in high school by some people. Yeah. I, I saw things in my lifetime that I'm just horrified. Very smart people that I don't wouldn't consider racist being an uproar because in the 70s, a black family was moving into the area. You know, and I yeah. remember back then thinking, what the fuck? You know, what's it, what's it matter? Yeah, like what's like what what's the big deal that a black family moved into the suburbs? Mm. What like, I mean, I I remember when this probably man, this had to have been, oh my goodness, uh, it's probably my sophomore year in high school, and you know. Where I'm from, you, everybody kind of knows you, especially when you make a name for yourself in sports, just like in, with a lot of people. And you start making, you know, you, you start going around and hanging out and going to high school parties. And then, you know, I remember one time we were in Leewood. And a group of buddies of mine, there's probably about six or seven of us, we were invited by the guy who's who was hosting the house party and i guess his friends didn't like us and they were like dude you're at you are in, in the wrong neighborhood mm. congratulations so, on finding the whitest part of kansas city by the way <laughs> look i can't help it what my friends say <laughs> man. <laughs> yeah man i was like i looked i was I, 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 what we're in the wrong neighborhood. Are you kidding me? We're in Leewood. There's nothing you're going to do besides call the cops and then what's going to happen? Nothing. Because we haven't done anything wrong. Now, we can do something wrong since you want to be a asshole about it. But, you know, we yeah. came here to party. We came here, you know, to dance with girls. Some of the stuff that they were doing was definitely illegal. That's, and I'm going to just leave it at that. Um, Not for them. But that's that's the thing. It's it's like for white America, there's a double standard. Yep. It's 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 a slap on the wrist if a, a CEO of a company is found being a pedophile and having por- uh, child porn on their on their work um, computer, but let a person of color do it. They throw the book at them, and well, and that's the stuff that I I hate. That is the stuff I hate with this country. We are held to a, a different standard than white America, and that should not be the case. And that's what Martin Luther King stood for. Yep. Everybody should be treated equally. Hell, the 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 Declaration of Independence talks about it. You know, all men should be created equally, but we know we're not. That is the greatest definition of the the inner turmoil of America. That Thomas Jefferson could write those words while owning slaves. Yep. And in, I'm a fan of Jefferson. People like to reinvent him and see him only for a slave owner. But he knew the conflict. He understood that America was based on an agricultural society that could only be maintained at that time by enslaving another. And, you know, honestly, that was happening in England with enslaving the Irish. But um, mm-hmm. they built a whole system on a sin on yep. something truly evil. And he understood that it wasn't right, but he wrote those words that he knew what he was writing. Yeah. It was almost like, uh, <laughs> he was admitting guilt in that document yeah. that has lived through time. But the fact that we still don't understand what that freaking means. And some people still want to believe lesser of people based on race. It, it's, it, it baffles me beyond belief but i wrote this i we're friends on facebook and i don't know if you saw this but i uh i am 
truly confounded by the human nature to hate what we aren't. Yeah. And, and in this country, it manifests itself with race a lot. Mm -hmm. In Western Europe, it manifests itself with religion, with the Jews. Mm -hmm. In yep. Eastern Europe, it's ethnic. They look the same. They seem the same, but they know they're, they've got some kind of ethnic background and they're, you know, they're battling in Croatia or wherever. Serbia, yeah. they just hate each other for long reasons. Africa, it's tribes. They slaughter each yep. other still to this day based yep. on some tribal day. heritage that we would never understand yeah. here. We find reasons to hate each other, and I don't understand why. Yeah. I can't wrap my mind around this human defect that if it's not like us, we don't like it, and this is – you're a Jew, you're a black, you're a Tutsi or whatever the, you know, whatever the tribe yeah. is. I don't understand it. I don't, I can't get over it. Although Jayhawks, I do hate those people. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> no, man, but you're right, man. I'm, I mean, I, I, I'll break it down to, to the simplest form. I, when, when my kids, you know, when we were younger, we would try, you know, to get them to, to eat different foods. And, you know, without even eating it, they're like, no, I, I don't want to. I don't like it. I'm like, how? You've never even tasted this before. I just don't like the way it looks. And if, yep. if kids, you know, decipher, you know, food when it comes, you know, does that when it comes to food, I mean, come on, man. Like, we're now in our 20s and 30s, and now you, you, you've seen something or you see something that, you, that you've never seen before. You know, it, it, it's a little loud. It's it's a little you know annoying at times, um, but it's different and you don't like it. And you, somebody's like, "Hey man, let's go hang out over there." No, why not? Eh, I don't like it. Yep. Just based off the way it looks. Well, I guess it's time for me to apologize to carrots. <laughs> I I didn't like you when I was a kid, but I understand you now, and I think you're delicious. <laughs> And just like food, every single person, right. every single ethnic group has a great benefit that they can give you. I I want to get your opinion on something because there's something I kind of push back on that I, I hope isn't viewed as racist, but maybe it is. I This, this idea of cultural appropriation, um, mm -hmm. I think what makes America great is we're a little bit of everyone. Yes. And I see it in music. I mean, I... I love the blues. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I love jazz. Rock and roll is based in all of that. And I think what has made America great, using the music metaphor, is that we combine all that we are. Bluegrass combines into, you know, what was black music. And we end up with country. We end up with rock and roll. And I think that's a mm -hmm. metaphor for America. And I get really tired of, not tired's not the right word. I get Offended by people saying that's our culture, I'm like, well, that's yeah. I, I don't I don't agree with that. It's 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 our culture. Yeah, it's it's everyone's culture. Quit dividing us. Uh, this is what I don't want. I don't want the divisions. This is us. This is you. I went off. I went off. No, on you're you're absolutely right, man. Like we shouldn't be, you know, selfish with with the things that I guess um, are near and dear to us. Like I know. I mean, black people can't even, you know, really truly hold on to the, you know, the African American experience and cultures that we that we know that that's a norm to us, because everyone else is like, man, I'm, I'm I, I want that, I want that hairstyle, <laughs> I I want that aggressive kind of music, I want, you know, the the things that they wear, but okay, you you want our, you want our culture, but you don't want what comes with being a part of that. Our culture. experience, yeah. Yeah, like if you want to embrace it, cool. But you got to embrace all of it, not just a piece of it. You got to embrace every single aspect of it. You you have to put yourself in a position to where you can empathize and sympathize with the people that have been dealing with racism, that have been dealing with um, economic status, um, you know, dis uh, discrimination since we were brought over here. Right. And it's like, the more you understand, the more you can be like, you know what? Something's not right. And how can I help make it right? How can I help be the change that 
They're just asking for it. And that's all it is. And me and one of my good friends, um, well, I mean, I, I've been talking so much, I, I lose track of who I've been talking to. Mm-hmm. I've, I've been talking to cousins and friends and, and ex-coaches and current coaches that, that I coach with, um, you know, family members. And I, th- I, I may have tweeted it, but I'm, I'm not for sure. Like I said, my, my mouth and my brain has been going nonstop. But, oh, I know where I said I, I first said it on my blog, on my podcast that I have. Um, in the life of a Mac, that's a cheap plug, but it's all good. No, we're getting there. Um, <laughs> um, and while I was talking, I was I was so built up in emotion, and then I'm just like, what? Like, what America? What are y'all afraid of? Like, what are y'all really afraid of? For the fact that y'all want to keep people, minorities, you know, down. Y'all want to keep oppressing us. Y'all want to keep us at a certain level to the to, to where it's like, okay. Y'all can reach this level, but that's it. Like, are y'all afraid of competition? Seriously? Because yeah. if, if if that's the case, then, I mean, we're, we're all built competitive. We all are. Whether it's athletics, whether it's, corp, you know, corporately. We're all built on this. This nation was built on competition. We want to be the best country in the world. And trust me, America, to, to me, despite what everything going on, I still believe America is the greatest country in the world. Or else I would have never served in our nation's military if I did not think otherwise. So people out there, they, they can say what they want until they know me, until they know my struggle, until I, you know, until they experience what I've been through. You can't tell me shit. I agree. I agree. But I love my country. I just don't love the things about our country, and I wish we can. I wish we can get it right. Like I, I wish we can, and and I, I I hope and I pray that this is a step that we need to get it going. As I continue this silly music metaphor, I can appreciate the blues, but never understand the pain that gave birth to the blues. Yeah. And we all need to kind of get there with life. You know, what's interesting about this pandemic is we've all started calling friends. We've all started having Zoom. Uh, I wish I'd invested in Zoom, by the way. Um, (laughs) we've, We've all had this kind of, change in how we're doing things. We're not going out in the world, so we're bringing the world into us via technology. And I think we're all having more conversations at this Mm -hmm. important moment that has arrived. And we're all willing to pick up the phone or get on Zoom with our group of friends and and discuss these things. We weren't doing that when Baltimore was burning, at least Mm -hmm. the people I know weren't doing that when Baltimore was burning or St. Louis was burning. Now we're doing that. And it's kind of mm-hmm. like the pandemic has led, I think, to a lot of um, the angst, and, but yeah. it's also led to a lot of communication that we haven't seen in the past. Yeah, there's good and coming that, out of the bad. Yeah, and that and, and seriously, that's where everything starts with communication in a relationship. If there is issue going on, you communicate about it. You just don't sit around, let it fester, or you know, internally things will break down and 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 you know cause. For divorce, or cause for you know separation. Right. So right. communication is key. Yep. We have to communicate. If we if we disagree on something, okay, cool. Let's get it out in the open. I don't like this about this person, or I don't like this about this person. Why? Because it's new. Because it's different. Because it's something that you don't agree with. Okay, cool. It's just like the religion thing. You can, you, we can both agree to disagree, and we we can both have things that. About a certain religion, you know, about Christian, you know, about Christians and Catholics and 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 whatever the case is, hell, um, Jedi at this, <laughs> you know, no, there seriously is a religion of Jedi. Seriously. Oh God, oh. yeah. So it's like, okay, you're Jedi, you're Christian, you're Muslim, you're Catholic, but we're all Americans. Yep. So put religion aside. How can we, as a people, as human beings on this earth in this country how can we come together and make things work amen it's it's a it's a fundamental principle of life hey it's fitz let's hit the pause button right here and take a little break okay let's shift gears let's talk about the podcast what got into you to do this nonsense that i'm also doing Um, honestly, I think this, 
the thought of mine of doing this podcast is probably going on two years now, seriously, two years. And for people who don't know, I am a huge Dan Levitard fan. Huge. Really? I have been listening to Dan Levitard probably, oh my God, since 2010. So like when he first started going with uh, being on uh, ESPN radio, I, I, I think it was 2010, but I am a huge Dan Lebertard fan. And I like the way that his, his radio show is structured. Um, so I was like, I, I can do that. Like I seriously can, can come on here and talk about whatever I want to talk about. And it could be funny. It could be serious. It can be everything that I want it to be because it's mine, but it, it, it can also be entertaining. It, it can also be informative. And as of late, uh, you know, a couple of people, uh, I had a, um, not a Zoom, but I was trying to do a Facebook Live with Michael Bishop and the connection was messed up. So we went on Instagram and I did the same thing with Sproles. It's just like, you know what? I think I can make this a reality. But then, you know, the, the, not the fear, but the challenging aspect of it is like, okay, I don't know nothing about starting a podcast. I don't, nothing, I don't know anything about, you know, the equipment that I need or whatever the case is. And a fellow coach who, um, who, I, who I coach with, um, Keon Banks, he was like, dude, you got everything you need in the palm of your hand. I was like, yeah, but I'm at, you know, I try to come up with every excuse kind of not to do it. Right. Um, but he was like, dude, you have everything in the palm of your hand. Just just go ahead and do it. So I was like, all right. So I, I'm starting writing, you know, things down that I want to do. And my, my wife is like, um, so you're going to do it? I was like, <laughs> I don't know. She's like, just do it. Just just jump in the pool. I was like. Learn. Yeah. Learn on the fly. And for me, I guess, I mean, even in school, that, that was the best way for me to learn. And so, you know, the, the more research I did and, I mean, countless nights where I'm up until, you know, four, five o'clock in the morning, she'll wake up. She's like, have you been up all night? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and plus, I can't sleep anyway. Thanks, insomnia. <laughs> um, but, you know, I just did the research and, and did the work and, and the life of a Mac came came to fruition. And as a guy that has you on the Life of Fitz podcast, I appreciate your name. I like the name a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and really that's this this podcast was born of the pandemic. I'm not I wasn't supposed to leave the house with my cancer. Yeah. So I'm just going to start calling people. And it really was supposed to be more athlete oriented, but it ended up being more media cuz it's it's really about who I needed to talk to at that moment. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, I needed to talk to you in this moment because you have been so vocal about everything going on in the world and yeah. And um I appreciate your wisdom and uh thank you. Uh you and also you were one hell of a football player as we make it see that graceful shift I just made? <laughs> that Mo was podcast magic, that little shift right there. Um first of all, I want to get this off my chest. You played with my my good good friend um Marcus Watts. Uh, yeah. You had to carry him, didn't you? You he 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 wasn't a very good football player, right? You had you, you had to carry him through those early when he's a freshman and sophomore and lost and you probably had to tell him where to line up, right? Watts is okay, man. I, I, I think the good thing about Watts, he 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 learned a lot while he was gray shirt. And yeah, well, he was seventy three years old by the time he was a senior. <laughs> man, no, but um, Watts is Watts is a cool guy. But um, I mean, it's crazy because. When I think back at, at my college career, you know, and even and I, I I go by facts. I'm looking at my stat line. I'm looking, you know, at the things that I was, you know, I did. I'm looking back. And I'm like, I really didn't have that good of a college, you know, career. Statistically, right now, people now people may you know know me for you know what I did special teams wise. You know, my my, my first couple of seasons there, and then you know made the transition from safety to linebacker even though I fought against it tooth and nail. But, I mean, I, w- I always had the mindset I would do whatever it takes, you know, for the benefit of the team. And that's just that's who I am. I'm, I'm, I'm loyal to a T. Um, so if you need me to, to almost, you know, run through a, a brick wall for you, 
you motivate me enough and I will. So, um, but yeah, I'm looking, I'm like, why everybody remember, you know, oh man, you had a great college career. No, I didn't. <laughs> truth, truth be told, no, I did not. I had a, I had a decent college career. My career was nothing like, you know, the Brandon Archers or, or the Zach Dials or Sproles level, um, Terry Pierce level, um, you know, Ted Sims level. But I mean, I'm, I, I guess it was because I, I honestly, I don't know why people say that. I'm, I'm grateful. Trust me, I'm grateful for every um, compliment that I receive, every, you know, congratulations I, I get. But me personally, as an athlete, as a person who looks back on everything that I do, and I mean, this is probably my downfall, I am so critical on the things that I, I've done, you know, in the past. And I'm like, man, like, you really weren't that good. Like, even I look back at my high school career. Yeah, you know, I, at that time, I was the second person to rush 2,000 yards behind Darren Sproles. But I'm like, Eh, you got, you had an okay high school career, even though you had two state championships. You had an okay career. Now you're just talking nonsense, dude. I look, I am critical about myself, and I'm, I'm you are. Back, like, I'm, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking back, man. I'm like, dude, I could have been so much better. Like, I could have been a lot better than what I than what I was. But that's just that. That's who I am. That that's me, man. So, but you talk about position changes. People forget you were a high school running back. You followed Darren Sproles at Olathe North. <laughs> Put up the same numbers. You won the Simone Award, right? Yeah, won the Simone Award. That just means you're the best player in Kansas City, Mo. That's all that means. Yeah, you were really I mean, good, man. Yeah, but I'm, I was more so of an athlete. You know, I, I, I. I mean, you put me in any position, I, I think I was good enough to excel in it, you know, especially, you know, with, I mean, going back to my junior year, we had, you know, countless 707 tournaments, and we're like, okay, we need another receiver. And I'm like, okay, cool, I got it. They're like, but you, like, dude, I got it, whatever. Um, I'm, that That's just the athlete in me. You know, growing up, I had to, I had to know how, how to, you know, play at almost every single position because – you know, being the younger sibling of, you know, four brothers, you had to find your keep. You had to earn your earn your way mm-hmm. on the field and on the playing surface. And, you know, growing up at, at Fairview Park where I played basketball with, like, I thought, honestly, I thought I was going to be basketball all day, every day. That's, that's the only sport I wanted to concentrate on was basketball. And I learned how to have an eye for, you know, an IQ for basketball, have an eye to, to know where to pass. Because, you know, when you're uh, probably 10, 12 years old and you want to play with the older guys, you want to play with the grown men, you're not allowed to shoot the ball at all unless you are <laughs> wide open or unless you have a layup. So I learned how to really play point guard off off the cuff. So, I mean, like I said, I mean, I, I, I think I had an okay high school career, you know, to me, to yeah. you know, it, it, it was okay. But I, I could have been a lot better. I, I could have been one of those guys who, you know, on that Sproles level. And honestly, I don't think I was on Sproles level. Honestly, I, I don't. I tr- that Sproles is probably the greatest high school player I've ever seen. And I'm not just well, saying that because we're friends or we're close. No. Like, there are things Darren has done that a lot of guys don't do and they can't do. Sproles has a work ethic. And, I mean, he has a work ethic that nobody can match. That's why he was able to to stay in great shape like he was, you know, barring a couple injuries he had in football. That's just football. But being his size in the NFL, doing what he did, like, come on, man. You, you, He's crazy. That's, that's that's greatness on another level. He's crazy. He defies everything you think you should know. Everything. Um, and uh, I don't know. I mean, he's he's probably the greatest all around. We can talk about Mike. We can talk about – you can list off the great football players that came through this program. But right. there's something Dude, next there's level something about, about Darren him, Sproles <laughs> that he – if, if he doesn't get into the Hall of Fame because his overall numbers, it's – it's I'm, I'm just – Overall numbers and what? Just his returns and his – Dude, he – Look, he's top five all-purpose. Oh, it's amazing. And there are people to, trying to decide if and he's in the Hall of Fame. Exactly. I'm like, yes! He broke 
I mean, I, I believe he still has the all-time uh, NFL uh, all-purpose yards record, right? I, yeah, I think so. Yeah, or he's okay. close. Yeah. And every single top, every single person in in that category who was top ten, if they're not actively playing, they are in the Hall of Fame. So why wouldn't you put the person who owns the record for all-time all-purpose yards yeah. in the in the Hall of Fame? Like, how could you even debate that? That is. I was looking at your career, and I was—I've got the memory of a emu. I can't—I can't place people in time periods unless I have a specific moment, like yeah. like the guys on the '98 team. Well, duh, I remember who they were. Um, um, I mean, how, how could you not? Right, uh, but I forgot what a weird, weird time you played at K State. You win a Big Twelve <laughs> title as a freshman in '03. You mm-hmm. see the erosion of Bill Snyder's program the next two years, and mm-hmm. then you have to play for Ron Prince, and but you do go to a bowl game in his first season when you had mm-hmm. an absolutely incredible coaching staff. Say what you want about Ron, and I will say anything about Ron. He hired incredibly well with that initial staff and then treated him like shit, and they all left. He did. but No, n- no arguments there. What a That's weird staff. career you've had. I mean – Look, James Franklin, he's the freaking head coach at Penn State. Yep. He has brought Penn State back on the map of college football. And we all know where Penn State was a couple, you know, a few years ago, uh-huh. that whole Sandusky case. But, I mean, like, I love my time at K-State. I, I like, there was, if, if I could do it all over again, if my choice would still be K-State. Because K-State felt like family to me. Right. When on my recruiting trip, and I tell guys all the time, when I went on my recruiting trip, that's when I knew I was coming to K State because at I went to KU, I went to Missouri, I went to Minnesota. It was nothing like the experience I had at K State. Everybody was everybody was cool with each other. There was like okay, cool. Like granted, everybody you know hung out with their position you know groups and right. DB hung out with DBs receivers, but when it all came down to it, everybody hung together. It was a team. And it was, for me, it was just like being in high school all over again. Like everybody hung out with everybody. Everybody was cool with everybody. There was no division. There was no segregation, as you want to call it. It was all a team. And I loved it. And everybody joked with each other. I was like, they were like, this, this is just like being at home. Like all my brothers and yeah. all my friends playing at high school ball, like, that's that's really what sold me on K State, and I mean, besides the fact when I saw that twenty four jersey, I was like, "Ooh, that purple's pretty, man. <laughs> that purple is pretty." And I, I and then it's like I, I really knew that K State was going to be my home. And you think about it, you had Raheem Morris as your defense coordinator, your secondary yep. coach is your senior year. He becomes mm-hmm. head coach of the Buccaneers. Yeah. I wish he would go back to college. I think he'd be an incredible yeah, college yeah, coach, yeah, yeah. but he's an yeah, NFL yeah, guy. Yeah. And Scott yeah. Frost is your grad assistant. Yep. <laughs> what a combination. That's an inc- that Watt still talks about how incredible those two were to play for. Yes. And it, it was it was a lot like, okay, here's here's what we want, but you gotta execute. I loved it about Raheem. He was like, dude, let, let go for it. Do it. If you mess up, cool. We'll we'll fix you know we'll fix all that, but you gotta you gotta be an athlete. Let that athletic skill be known that you got it. Go for it. And a lot of times it, it was difficult because I, I don't think. And I mean even you know the Bill Snyder days. It's like it it was kind of, you were you weren't limited on on what you could do athletically. It's it's like they tried to keep the reins on you. You know they didn't they didn't f- fully want you to to be you and and to be who you are on the field. And I think with, with that Ron Prince um, staff, Skip Ron Prince, everybody else, it's <laughs> like they really wanted you to, to really be you and to really help this team, but we need you to be you. Yeah, and that's what I'm enjoying about the current staff is it's, it's like a yeah. nice combination, Yeah, uh, getting the most other players, putting the guys that can play in a position to learn and become what they can uh, without the Ron Prince insanity. Yeah. Yeah. The bizarre stuff. Man, I could Jesus Christ. <laughs> anyway. 
everyone who played for him has that exact, exact reaction. Dude, dude, he, I mean, and I'm and I'm putting it putting this the nicest way I can. Okay, he's a complete psychopath. Oh, okay, yeah, mm-hmm. a complete psychopath who should never be allowed to coach any kind of football from little league to peewee to high school to college. Nothing. His hand should never be in the cookie bowl of coaching football. Nope. But he is an incredible con man. Oh, man. He's the best car salesman mm-hmm. you could ask for. He conned a lot of smart people <laughs> into head coaching jobs, including just recently. And that one is like, did you guys ever think about picking up a phone and calling someone about ex- Ron? Ex- yeah, like okay, he has a pretty good resume, but but what's really in the resume? Yep. Like, do your research, man. Like, <laughs> I don't, did they even do a background check? I don't know. Man, yeah, when he got fired and and Mark May was screaming racism, I'm like, look. I know Kansas State just fired a black coach, but the man is not wired right. Oh, my God. Not at all. When, when they fired Ron Prince, I was like, it's about time. Yep. And it has nothing to do with race. It has everything to, with, to do with the kind of person that he was. Yep. I don't know. Ugh, that dude was nuts. Yeah, it's uh, – think of the poor guys that played all three years for him. Just – Dude. It's crazy. It's almost like uh, when I talk to those guys, it's almost like a level of psychological torment they were put through. Oh, there, there was. I, I had the option to transfer because, you know, during that time, the NCAA rule is you get a new coach, you can transfer anywhere else you want to to finish out your mm-hmm. eligibility. I thought about it. I was like, you know, my at the time I was married, I had a daughter and a son, and which is crazy to think about this. My son is about to start high school now, and my daughter's about to go to LSU. Crazy. What? Yes, dude. Yes. Oh, my God. So, you Thanks know, for making just... me feel really old. <laughs> you, shoot. I get to look Come at it. I, I got to live with him every day. But um, just looking back at it, I'm like, man, like, do, do I really uproot my family and go somewhere else just because I have the ability to play a sport that I know I could eventually get to the next level? Um, or do I do I stick it out here and help the team do what it needs to do? And like I said, I've always I'm always been a team guy, and probably to my detriment, I'm I'm loyal to a T. But I was like, I, I'll stick it out. You know, I, yeah. I got one year left. I got one year left. What could possibly go wrong? What? <laughs> oh man! But yeah, it was crazy to see that whole. Thing transpire. I was wow. How do you feel about K State football right now? I feel that they are doing the right things to get to where they need to be. They got a fresh face um, with Coach K. You know, brought a, a fresh new staff. Um, you know, they they got a couple of grad assistants who played at K State who are now coaches there. I believe uh, Klein is there. So. He knows the history. I, I think everybody knows the history of K-State football. It's just making, like, getting out of that shadow of Bill Snyder, and yeah. not in a bad way. It's just, I mean, okay, Bill Snyder has taken that program twice out of the dumps of the toilet bowl to where their their national championship, in, you know, in contention. Like, right. It's incredible. What what coach can, can say they have that on the resume? Name one. It was you amazing. Know? And and yet, yeah. with all that said, it was time. It was the appropriate yeah, time. Yeah, I think Gene Taylor it was time. Yeah. Uh, did it. You know, I'm old enough to remember um, that first staff being around him, not when they first arrived, but a little bit later. Mm-hmm. There's some similarities here, and I think there's there's potential that 20 years down the road, people could be saying, man, Kleiman, he hired – Scotty Hazelton on his first staff and mm-hmm. Connor Riley and Colin Klein and, you know, just go through the list of, of some of these coaches. And they were all at K-State at one time. I There's that potential yeah. uh, with this group. And they're really likable guys. I think they're doing a uh, – they're kind of stair-stepping, recruiting up to another level. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, just got to get back to getting getting dudes. Yep. Got to get the dudes we're on not, the field. We're not trying to build a Boy Scout troop here that can right. – 
<laughs> earn merit badges. Exactly. Uh, let's go get some dudes that are good people. You know, yep. we don't we yep. don't want to devolve into what some programs have have become at yep. times. But let's yep. go get some people that want to be. K State's a great place. I don't yeah, care what is. your cultural background is. It's a healthy environment. Um, it is. It and, is. And uh, it's it's, it's kind of low key. It's kind of quiet. It's not too fast paced. But I know Manhattan is, is, has grown a lot, but it's, it's still Manhattan. So a lot of the troubles that you may get into at a bigger school, say like um, Miami, you don't have that same, mm-hmm. you know, temptation that you would in Manhattan, even though sometimes, you know, circumstances present itself just because it's it's life and, you know, you, you got to play the hand that you're dealt. But, I mean, I, I like I said, I would – I would do it all over again at K-State. I would do everything all over again, recruiting and to the, to, you know, even it may have been a coaching change, but I, position change. I would do it all over again because I love K-State that much. I want to go back and talk about your military career. Until you mentioned it, I had forgotten that. What, <laughs> what led to that decision? You've gone to college. Now you're going to join the military. Yeah. Um, for me, it was the change I needed. Like, seriously, it was – it was after, you know, let me let me go back a little bit. You know, 2007 was a tough year for me because mm-hmm. at the time when you're hearing all these things about, okay, we, you know, we want you to, you know, play football and, and you know, try to do this and do that with, you know, with the potential chance of going to the NFL, the agent at, that I had at the time, didn't listen to any of the guys who wanted me to come in as a strong safety because that's my natural position. Right. He kept, you know, pushing me to play outside linebacker. And at the time, outside linebacker was changing from the guy who was probably, you know, six foot, maybe 250, who can run a little bit, to a guy who looks like Terrell Suggs. You know? <laughs> you don't so you I, don't look like Terrell Suggs. But. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, like that, that 2007, 2008 year was a tough year. I was, I was depressed. I was, you know, um, I was really trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And so, you know, I, I worked, you know, you know, I, I just put it that way. I worked. And then it was just like, man, I, there's, there's gotta be something more to this, to this world that I can offer. And so, you know, from 2010 to 2012, I flirted with the idea of going to the military. You know, I, I talked to um, Army recruits. Um, I talked to Air Force recruits, and I was going to go. I was actually getting ready to sign papers, you know, to join the Air Force, but at the time I was too old. So I was like, well, I'll go next door to the to the Army recruiting station and, and sign and, and, and take my ASVAB and do all that and I mean, September 4th, um, I said my oath, and I was off to basic training the next day, September of 2012. Hmm. Yep. So how long were you in? Uh, three and a half. I was in three and a half, and I would have stayed in longer, but due to um, a freak injury that hurt my lower back, and probably a combination of that and football as well, right. um, I ended up happy. You know, I, I ended up medically retired out of the military. Um, I got two herniated discs and a couple of fractures on my vertebrae. Watts uh, has the same thing. What the hell was yeah. going on with you safeties? Hey, man, when you hit. I know. <laughs> I know. You're putting your shoulder into a lot of guys moving fast. Dude, that is a car crash mm-hmm. every single time. And, like, people don't understand. Like, And that's how I tell them. It's a car crash every single time especially playing DB or running back or linebacker, like constantly hitting, you know, offensive lineman, D-line, that, that's that's something totally different. But when you're bringing, you know, speed with you, and like I tell people this day, my right shoulder is jacked up from playing against guys like Adrian Peterson. Mm-hmm. Like, now granted, I, I've been blessed to never have surgery. The worst injury I had was a separated shoulder and a third-degree uh, high ankle sprain. And I, I did that against um, Iowa State. A couple, uh, I think my junior year, um, like those are the two worst injuries I've ever had. Never had a surgery, so I was blessed. But now it's like I think back. I'm like, man, like I put my body through a lot, and 
I, I still would do it all over again. Like I'm telling you, man, people think I'm people think I'm crazy, or people think guys, you know, who play football who are out now, and we think about it, it's like I'll do it all over again, man. It's 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 the love and the camaraderie you have with the teammates, and to me, there is nothing like playing on a Saturday afternoon, a Saturday evening, in front of thousands of people. Um, there's nothing. There's nothing like a game played in Manhattan. There's nothing like it. I mean, it was it was kind of like the same thing that I went through with the military. I mean, I went in as a specialist. I came out as an E5 sergeant. Um, you know, so I, I did my time. There was a lot of, you know, even my drill sergeant students, they still, you know, communicate with me through, you know, Facebook. And they're like, man, like, I'm, you know, it, it sucks that um, you went through those, you know, you had to get out because your injuries. But, like, you're one of the guys who I, I knew was going to be great in the military. Mm-hmm. It's, it's great to hear that because that's, like, all I want to do is, is leave a mark to where people remember me in a, in a way that, you know, is, is, is special to them, not, right. not me, you know, to them. And I, I mean, I had aspirations to, to drill sergeant, to all kind of stuff. And in fact, before everything started, like before I, I found out how bad my back was, all my paperwork was ready for me to go to drill sergeant school. Mm. And then my my unit was getting ready to deploy, so you know you got to go through all the physicals and everything like that, and come to the actual physical. They're like, yeah, um, you're you're not going. In fact, we need to go to a specialist in, in Augusta. And I was like, what? Like, yeah, because I was stationed in Fort Stewart, Georgia at the time, so I had to uh, go see a specialist, and that's when I really found out how bad it was. My L4, L5 is just. <laughs> certain days it's like mm. I can't get out of bed certain days I have to like I have to sit a certain way or else my back would just flare up and it's bad so the majority of the time I try not to sit down as much um, that's why I love football because I'm always on the move I'm always moving around um, I have to limit a lot of you know being excited I have to limit as much jumping up and down and or anything like this over what was this a couple months ago I was on the trampoline with my kids for like five minutes, I was in my bed for the next three days. <laughs> oh man! And it's it's like it's that bad. But um, you know, I just like with football, my military experience, I would do it all over again, and I would stay in, and I would reap the benefits that the military gives you, um, even though there's a lot behind the scenes that you have to deal with. Um. I mean, for me, my experience was was, was really good. Um, I had great NCOs, non-commissioned officers. I had great um, commanding officers. Um, you know, like anywhere, there's a couple of knuckleheads you got to deal with, but that's life. Yep. But overall, just like K-State, my experience was great, and I, I would definitely do it all over again and stay in so I could retire and have a pension yeah. and be paid by the military until the day that I die. But you had to transition out. You ended up. Yep. You're you're now coaching and teaching. Um. Yes, coaching and teaching. Um. Not quite full time in the classroom. Um. Mm-hmm. Because I'm still trying to get my certification done. I was I was short thirty points uh, when I took my test last time. So I, you know, study again and make sure I get all my history stuff straight. Um, <laughs> but. <laughs> Um, but I am, I'm in, it's crazy because I'm in the ISS classroom, the in-school suspension classroom. So, you know, I, I get to teach a lot about life with young men and women who, you know, have messed up and I'm able to share my life experience with them. And like, look, dude, I, I didn't always do it right. I'm not the perfect, you know, candidate for, you know, person of the year, but I made the best out of my life and you could do the same thing too, but you have to be willing to make the choice to make the change um, change your outlook on life, change the people who you hang out with. And if you really want to pursue something to, to help you get better in a positive light, you have to be willing to put in the work to go do it. Um, and I'm coaching football, which I love to do. And same thing. I, I get to teach a lot of football, but more so I get to teach a lot of young men about life, about making sure they stay on top of their grades, making sure they, they stay out of trouble out in the world and social media because I tell them all the time there's there's three there's there's you know there's three tier aspect that college college coaches look at you they look at your academics they look at your character as a person off the field and they look at what you do 
on the playing surface. Right. They already know what you could do on the playing surface. <clears throat> That's easy to see. Yeah. That's easy to see. But they want to know about these this other two thirds of, 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 of what you got going on with you. They want to know how he behaves in the classroom. They want to know if he's attentive in the classroom and if he's being productive in the classroom and not being a, a distraction in the classroom. And then the world of social media. Mm. Thank oh God we God. didn't have it. Oh, my. I could just imagine. I know my mom would be so disappointed with some of the stuff that I did. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. But, yeah, man, that's 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 a huge aspect with life now. Social media and, you know, they, they want to know the kind of character that, you know, the integrity that you have, whether you have it or not. Is, and that's that's really going to be, you know, a, a determining factor whether or not they're going to recruit you. So I I tell these kids all the time, man, like, keep keep your nose clean as much as you can because people are always watching. People are always watching even when you think they're not watching. Mm -hmm. Well, my friend, we could go on forever. This has been awesome. This has been hey, great. No um, problem. I, I appreciate the opportunity to get on with you. Congratulations on the podcast. You're insane for doing appreciate it. it. But, uh, appreciate it. <laughs> uh, I mean, I listened to your episode earlier this week or last week whenever it was released and I'm like, oh, I got MO on. I got this... He's perfect for right now. We get to talk K State football and the world, and and uh, and he's a good guy. He's fun to talk I, I, to. I think for me that was the hardest part to decide what my podcast is going to be about. I was just like, you know, I'm just going to make it about my life and life yeah. in general. So yep. that's what that's it good. is, man. That's good. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much, and take care of yourself. And uh, my God, you got old children. God, you're right. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, man, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having okay. me. Okay. Thanks, Bo. Talk to you later. All right. Later. Bye. Oh, man, Mo is great. And I apologize for some of my rambling in this episode. But it's time for us to face what we haven't wanted to face for whatever reason. We have to make both of our Americas one, as it always should have been. And I can tell you one area where African-American men lag behind whites in this society. One in six white men diagnosed with prostate cancer will die from it. But one in three men of color will die from the same diagnosis. Making sure men of color have the information and access to care they need to survive prostate cancer is a goal of our new nonprofit, Blue Shamrock Society. And all men, all of us in this defective human race, if you're over 45, get to the doctor to have your PSA scored. It could save your life. Take care, everyone. I will talk to you real soon.